and um, we do have a little bit of an audience on there. We got some people that's not from our church to listen, and and um, I'd like to see that get uh, bigger. But um, if you've not heard all these, you can go back and listen to them. And there's so much more in each of these commandments. And I think in our time we have been so uh, bad that we just condense. I don't say you bad. Maybe it's convenience that we condense down to Jesus's terminology. We're basically love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is condensed version of this. But I think it's very important that we really understand the details of what each of these are because it will help us have better relations with, with God and also better relations with each other. So we come to our next commandment today. It's found in Exodus 20, 16. It's behind me here. Uh, it's 15 up there, but I'm pretty sure it's 16. Yeah. All right. And Jake just got the wrong reference up there. That's fine. Exodus... 20 and 16 is simply, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thank you, Stan. You can be seated. Um, once again, I think I've got them right this time. I had them out of order the last few times here. We'll go through these Ten Commandments again. Number one, no other gods before God. No graven images. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet. I've read those every time because I want to drive it in our spirit to where we really do know what they are. Uh, so many times we have, we can name so many things in life. You know, we can name basketball stars, movie stars, and um, different stuff, but we can't even name the Ten Commandments, and they're the most vital thing in our world, and God gave us these commandments because he wants us to be right with him which helps us be right with others you can't be right with others and be right you can't not be right with others and be right with god and you can't be right with god and not be right with others they coincide with each other because the love of god is what changes us and gets us to where we need to be first four commandments deal with our relationship with god the last six commandments deal with our relationship with man and today we're going to take a look at the filth of those six commandments that deal with a relationship with man. And it may be the one that is as damaging to a relationship as anything in this world that is. Today we're going to be talking about that ninth word, which is lying. Let me see, get that up there. All right, lying. I hate to be lied to, and I'm sure you do too. It is a hard thing to take. But every one of us has been lied to, and we've all lied. <laughs> That's just the truth. And we can worship on Sunday, but if we're lying to the world Monday through Saturday, we're not living a life of holiness. Holiness begins on the inside and holiness demands, for us to really have real holiness, it demands honesty and integrity in our life. The psalmist looked towards uh, the heavens in Psalms 24, 3 through 4. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It said, said it this way. 
Who may climb the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. The King James Version renders that last part, nor sworn deceitfully. And I, I just, I pray that if there was a way we could run a spiritual uh, was it CT scan or MRI on, our, on, our, on us that we would find that there's not any deceit on the inside of us. And deceit's been around for a long time. It's as old as uh, our Bible is. We find it in the very first chapters of our Bible. We find it as old as Cain and Abel. Cain lied about killing Abel. We find it in Abraham. Well, at that time, he was Abram. Abram lied about... Sarai being his wife. His son Isaac lied about Rebekah being his wife. We see Jacob, he just lied about Jacob being Jacob. <laughs> he was a deceiver. That was what his name Jacob means. In 1 Kings 13, this has always baffled me and drives me crazy. The old prophet lied to the young prophet. The young prophet came through prophesying things and and the old prophet went out, and the Lord told him, said, look, when you get done, leave, don't turn, go eat, don't do anything. Old prophet come out and said, but the Lord spoke to me and told, you, told me to tell you to come to my house. The old prophet lied to the young prophet. It bothers me. Peter lied about knowing Jesus. He said, I don't know him. Ananias and Sapphira, they lied about the selling price of the money or their home or whatever it was they sowed, and then they... Well, that's all fine about Dandy, you can do what you want, but just don't go lie and say, oh, I sold it for this much and make you look like you've done something special. In every one of these stories, the unfortunate thing is that dishonest, the dishonesty paid, they paid a high price because they paid with part of their integrity that they would not get back. We're almost to the end of these God's top ten list, you know, people talk about it being this top ten list. We're almost to the end of it, the ninth one. But we read it in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. But there's another part of what's known to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Moses wrote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's another place that we can find this top ten lists are God's Ten Commandments. It's found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5. Deuteronomy means second law. And if um, when you're reading through Deuteronomy and if it appears some of it to be a lot the same like Moses is repeating, it's because in Deuteronomy much of what he taught was also in Exodus. Probably no doubt was just in a different time frame, but and somebody said, what's the big deal? If he repeated the Ten Commandments in, the, in the Deuteronomy 5, then, you know, why do we got to worry about it? Because Deuteronomy reads it this way. Neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor. Exodus 20, 16, and Deuteronomy 5 and 20, they appear to almost be like identical verses, but uh, you got, what, identical twins, and then you got what's called fraternal twins. Well, that's almost what they would be like more than just identical. They're more like fraternal. They're very kin, but they're not exact. And the Hebrew word for false in Exodus 20 
is means untrue. But it a different word is used in Deuteronomy 5. And the, the one in Exodus is sheker. I guess I'm not Hebrew. We don't know how to say Hebrew, but it is sheker, and that means untrue. In Deuteronomy 5, the word is shav, and it means insincere, empty, and frivolous. So, Exodus covers what we say, and Deuteronomy covers why we say it. So it gives two different principles here. Uh, it seems like one is obvious. Thou shalt not bear false witness like in a court of law. Let's just use that. If you bear false witness in a court of law, that law, that crime is known as perjury. If you're called to give a testimony in court, anybody know what you got to do? Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? Has anybody ever had to stand on the witness stand for anything like that? Well, I, I don't think I've ever had to do that. Thank, I hope I never have to, but... But that's true whether you're testifying to defend or the defendant or to condemn, whether you're for or against. You've you got to tell the truth no matter what. And that's, that's true whether you, you are the plaintiff or the defendant. And the Hebrews had strict, very strict rules for witnessing in court. Nobody could be condemned based on the testimony of just one person. There had to be at least two witnesses. And this is where we get the law. We find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. And those witnesses were often, they were interviewed separately. So any heresy could be tossed out. And any contradictions between the two witness stories, they were totally tossed out. So they'd get one over and say, well, did you see him take the axe and hit the guy in the head? Or whatever. You know, he told, I see him take an axe and him in the head and blah, blah. And this other one tells a different story. Well, if they don't match up, these two can't be witnessed. Somebody's not telling the truth. That's, that's where we get some of this terminology, don't bear false witness. In other words, don't be, don't be telling falsehoods about it. And there were strict rules on who could testify to offer the evidence. So listen to this, okay? Kind of run down on it. You could not be the defendant's father, brother, father's brother, mother's brother, sister's husband, father's sister's husband, mother's sister's husband, mother's husband, father-in-law, wife's sister's husband, or anyone of their sons or son-in-law. What do they all have in common? Here's the thing. They could be an heir to the person on trial, and maybe walk them out of the way so they could have their inheritance. Their motives, therefore, had to be pure. Otherwise, they were not allowed to testify. They couldn't say anything. And a friend or an enemy could not be a witness. The Sanhedrin defined, this is very interesting, they defined a friend as one who had been the accused groomsman. So, if you'd been like the best man, you groomsman, you can't be in there. The enemy was defined this way. One who has not, who had not spoken to the accused for three days because of a difference. In other words, if, if you and that person had an issue and you ain't fixed it in three days, uh, you can't be a witness because you probably got something against him. Because usually if, 
if if you got somebody close, you're going to have fights, okay? But you get over it before three days, generally. But it's interesting that they consider someone an enemy if they hadn't spoke to them for three days over a difference. They expected you, they just, they expect you to get it resolved, okay? And if you pass all those tests and qualified to testify at the trial, there was another law that would make a person think twice about being a false witness. And it's found in Deuteronomy 19, 16 through 19. If you were found guilty of trying to convict an innocent man or woman, you would suffer the exact same punishment you intended for them. So, it was very strict laws. So, basically what that meant, if you wanted them beaten, and you were found that you was given a false witness to them, you were beaten. If you wanted them stoned to death, you would be stoned to death if you was bearing a false witness of trying to lie against them. In Rome, a false witness was tossed headfirst from the top of the 80-foot-tall Taparian rock. If you was caught being a false witness, they'd throw you off this rock. In Egypt, a false witness had his nose and ears amputated. If you were caught being a false witness, lying on somebody else, you'd have either your nose or your ears amputated. In some parts in the Far East, they would take the false witness to a public place in front of everybody, and they would sew their mouth shut. Then people would be better off, right? <laughs> but there's one more Jewish law that made those who would be a false witness think again about what they were fixing to do. In a capital case where the penalty was stoning, if your testimony convicted the defendant, you, as the leading witness had to push the victim down into a hole at least twice as tall as him so they couldn't get out, and you rolled the first stone on top of him. That may have been why Jesus told all those self-righteous Jews in John chapter 8, let him who is without sin among you first cast a stone. That may very well have been why Jesus done that. But, None of them dared because there was very strict rules concerning who could be a witness and what happened to those who offered false witness. Our God is insistent on justice, which is why he puts this, this commandment in there about having a false testimony. Because when people lie, especially on other people, it doesn't matter really, when people lie, innocent people are punished and the guilty go free when someone testifies lies. And according to Acts 6, 13 through 14, they set up false witness who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place. And the law. For we've heard him say that Je this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the custom which Moses delivered to us. That wasn't true. That was Stephen. Stephen was being tried and he killed because of the testimony what somebody else said about him. That testimony wasn't true. Stephen was preaching about Jesus and they went back to where they was talking about Jesus. That was a false report. 
So because of somebody's lies, Stephen died in Acts. We find another false report found in the Gospels, Matthew 26, 60. But the last two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Talking about Jesus. That wasn't true. That's one reason. That's the thing. He ended up taking Jesus and having him crucified. Jesus was tried and crucified in part because of the testimony of false witnesses. And this is the thing. God puts a, he puts a, a premium on us having an honest testimony, no matter where, but especially in public. He places a premium on giving our honest testimony in our private of where we are. And that brings us today to a second principle of this commandment that is probably more relevant than some of those. I mean, it happens. It happens a lot. People lie on other people. I mean, I, and I know you've had it. I've had somebody actually talk to me, whether face-to-face, on the phone, even a text. And if I know it's a lie, I'll call them out. I've seen so-and-so or this or that. I've seen them do that. And if, I, if it's not true, I'll look at them. That's not true. I'll call them right now. I don't believe it. I've seen it happen many times. And here's the thing. I'm a preacher. I will be transparent. I will be real. But it happens among preachers about as much as anybody. I, I heard Bishop saying one time, he said he's amongst some preachers one time, and, and uh, they started talking about this guy, and he said, I know it was a lie. And he just stopped him. He dialed the phone. He said, I'm calling him right now because I don't believe it, and I want you to know it. <laughs> Don't speakerphone. <laughs> but there's another aspect of lying that right now is very bad. The second principle of this commandment is called gossip. Some people would tell you they don't repeat gossip. So, gotta listen closely the first time, right? <laughs> But more of us, we're going to fight a private fight against gossip than we will fight this public fight against, like, perjury. This is the thing that we're fighting, especially in our time right now. One man said it probably rightly so. He said, more homes are destroyed by termites than by earthquakes. And that's just as true because more reputations are destroyed by private gossip, gossip than by public accusation. And we've got to be sure to keep this ninth commandment and stay away from gossip. And I know, listen, I'm, I'm going to be transparent. Sitting amongst, you can get caught amongst talking to people, and that you get to talk, and the next thing you know, we're talking about somebody else, and you can be caught right in the middle of it before you even realize it. And we've got to be careful, because it's a whole lot easier to gossip now than it ever was. You can call, you can text, you can tweet, you can upload a status, you can email, you can fax, anything about anybody, anytime. And here's even the worst thing. People are so much more braver with their thumbs than they are their mouth. But whether you're doing it with your thumbs or with your mouth, you're still speaking it. And we've got to be careful. But L.J. Harry said in his book, Ten Words, he said, the old-fashioned wall telephone had an advantage over our day. A person quit gossiping when their feet got tired from standing. <laughs> now then, we can, we can just, 
We can sit back and ease and we can, we can gossip, spread lies, rumors, whatever about anybody for hours. And matter of fact, you know, you, you don't even have to sit with the phone in your ear. We got Bluetooth earbuds and earphones. We can leave our phone charged and walk 20, 30 feet away and still talk on the phone. You know, you're walking down. You, ever, you know, I'm sure you've been walking down through the stores or something and somebody's talking. You think they're talking either on a Bluetooth, you know. Now then, we, don't even, we, we can just talk and talk and talk. And we've got to be careful. The ninth commandment, especially the Deuteronomy 5 version, it teaches us there's no room in God's church for false, empty, frivolous witnesses. We call that, that is, gossip. And before we share something hurtful about somebody else, We've got to ask ourselves some questions. I'm going to give us some principles today to make sure that we stay out of the gossip, gossip ring. Now, number one, I would advise you if you're among some people and they start talking about somebody who's not in present, that whether that's true or not true and they could hurt them, walk away. All right? And, and the best way to, to judge that is this. We look at it. Is it true? Make sure. Take great, great links to find out if what that person what you're hearing is true because if somebody were spreading rumors about you you would want them to take great pains to find out if those rumors were true especially before they go telling anybody right and just because more than a handful believe it's true doesn't make it true because there was more than a handful that believed that Jesus was a, a military revolutionary that, but in truth, he was the meekest, kindest person ever you could ever meet. Is it kind? It's one of the next things. Is it kind? If not, don't share it with anybody. Let's, let's put this on. We got social media. All of us here is on social media here. Is it kind? If it's not kind, don't share it. If it's not kind, don't text it, don't talk it. If it's not kind, don't share it. It will do more harm and no good. Paul wrote to his friend Titus. He said, Titus 3 and 2, speak evil of no one. He also wrote in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But only what's going to be edifying and helping somebody. That can add grace to the hearers. We can actually give grace to others by what we say. And we've got to be careful because when we do the gossip, it, it, it's that ninth commandment that we're breaking and we got to be careful that gossip doesn't doesn't always look like gossip because gossip it can wear some mask to make it look like it's not gossip we do that but lj harry gives some good examples in his book 10 words he said there's false sympathy and it works like this it's just a shame how he beats up on his wife. Poor thing. I sure do wish they'd get along better. And then there's the curiosity gossip. 
Is it true that he's about to go bankrupt? Well, bless his heart. And he said his personal favorite was the prayer request. Please pray for her. She's been addicted to pills the last few months. Help me pray. He goes on to write, he said, The last one is sinister because it masquerades as compassion when it's really just bad, old-fashioned gossip. And if we've got inside information on somebody's sin and their fault, we don't have to air out details about during a prayer request. If we aren't willing to pray for them, then we shouldn't even pretend to care about them. Because if we really, if somebody's needing, we know something bad's going on, all we got to do is call their name. And say, hey, pray for so-and-so. Or it might even be best most of the time just pray yourself unless they ask you to have prayer requests for them. But um, gossip, it also has a couple, goes by a couple other names in the scriptures, okay? Tailbearing and backbiting. Shakespeare, kind of misquote here, said, a gossip by another name would still smell. And the final principle here that I want to cover in this ninth commandment is, it's just obvious dishonesty. This deals with lying and what people who know the truth should tell the truth is still a lie. Sometimes people lie to make themselves look better. I'd be honest, I've been there before. Uh, I remember several years ago, um, my boss had come out. We have, we have a log, we, we have tools that we use for cutting, and we, they want us to log these tools so they can charge to the right jobs. He come out and asked, he said, he said you've been putting, you've been putting uh, writing your inserts down in there? And, and I, I had, but just not like I should. And I was like, and I, my reply was, yeah, 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 I have, you know, but that was one of them trying to make me look better. The Lord smoked my spirit on the way home. It's like, you know, there's been some lately you haven't put in there. So on the way home, I called him. <laughs> hey, hey, Doug, I just want to tell you. Yeah, you asked me that question. I have been. Now, lately, I, I forgot to do it a few times. I'm going to tell you, I, I wasn't meaning to try to lie to you. But we've been there. You know, and sometimes people lie to make others look worse. And that, that's not right either. You know, we exaggerate something about what somebody else has done to make them look even worse than they are or what we think we are. You know, you, we can demonize anybody and make them a devil. We don't want to do that. And sometimes we leave out the truth without telling a lie. That's called deception. And when our motive is to deceive someone into believing a lie, we call it a half-truth. But God calls it a lie. And we pay a high price for a half-truth because we, pray, we pay for our integrity. We lose our integrity. Again, if we could run that spiritual CT scan on people who tell half-truths, we'll find that on the inside of them is what's called deceit. And deceit displeases God's. And we've got to be careful with half-truths because half-truth is still a lie. 
Yeah, uh, oh yeah, I, I was kind of what, kind of what I'd done my boss, you know. Oh yeah, I, I'm, I've been putting them, writing them down in the book, but it was a month ago. I hadn't done it last week or two. You know, cop pulls you over. You realize you was going 55? Oh, I was going 45, but it was back there a little bit farther, not there where you clocked me, right? Years ago, the gas station in Alabama advertised last stop for 28 cents gas. It was true. But what the sign didn't tell you is gas in Mississippi was 24 cents. Right? That was a long time ago. I, I'd, I'd be happy with either one of them right now. 28 or 24 cents gas. But even Abraham, we call the father of the faithful, as I mentioned earlier, the friend of God, he lied about his wife. He told Ambalak that Sarah was his sister. But here's the deal. That was true. It was part true. They had the same father, but they had a different mother. But he didn't tell everyone that, he was, that his half-sister also was his wife. Now, I know we live in a different time. We can't even think about that now, you know. Matter of fact, we have, I guess, laws where... You can't be marrying sisters and first cousins and whatever, you know. <laughs> but that cost him and his precious wife. And some commentaries would tell you that because of that lie, him and Sarah had a bad relationship. Some would tell you that they did not have a good relationship whatsoever. Because he chose not to embrace her as his wife, but to lie about it. That cost him. But here's the sad part. Yeah, it cost him, but his son Isaac told the same lie about his wife, Rebecca. But here's the thing. She wasn't his sister at all. It was just a bold-faced bold lie. It was not even, you know, we call it half-truth. It wasn't even an eighth or ninth truth. It, it wasn't even 99.9% truth. It was just a lie. Rebecca was not his sister. And here, here's the, the statement that we have to listen to about us being careful telling half-truths about things. What It is said what one generation does in moderation, the next generation does in excess. And we see it with Isaac and Abraham. And we've got to be careful with half-truths, especially when our children or grandchildren learn how to lie by listening to us. And this next one is extremely tough because it's intended to keep us from hurting somebody else's feelings. And I know we've all been in this place and we've all had friends who ask, how does this look? <laughs> and if we answered honestly, there's time we'd say, that just don't look good. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell this my, me and Brother Giffen's good friends when I was going to start Bethlehem we was young preachers we'd rotate on Wednesdays a lot like these boys do here preaching and we was usually standing by each other before he'd go up you know, me or him would go up the pulpit I don't know how many different times he looked at me I'm not trying to gross you out here and he'd raise his head up a little bit and say do I got any hangers <laughs> he wanted to make sure he didn't have nothing hanging out of his nose and all that it's been said, you, you got a good friend when they'll tell you you got a booger hanging out, right? Yep. 
But instead, a lot of times we'll just, uh, yeah, it looks great, you know. And we know better, and so do they. We don't want to say that looks awful, that tastes bad, or that sounds terrible. So, hey, was that song good? Wow. That's all I can say, you know. Uh, I've never, never heard anything quite like that. <laughs> With a smile instead of, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> when we do need some honesty, that we could say something like, look, man, I, I know it takes a lot of courage to get up. And, and now if you're a music person, you maybe would do this, you know. Um, if, if somebody don't know anything about music and they can't sing, I don't want them telling me how to sing. You know, I, there's a lot of these young kids are always asking somebody that's a little bit older than them about relationships and they've never been married or they've been, or they're asking somebody that's been, had multiple relationships and never worked out. You know, I, I'm not talking about that, but usually they'll come, like, they'll come ask somebody that sings, hey, did that sound good? If you're ever in that situation where, where you have some expertise in it, be honest, but don't hurt them. Look, I, I admire it takes a lot to get up and sing in front of other people. But keep on working. Your pitch and your rhythm just a little bit off. But main thing, use your talent for the glory of God. That's the way we need to learn how to answer. And if, and if we tell someone they did great when we don't mean it, then they may not believe us when we really do mean it. And we cheapen our compliments through flattery. And we don't want to do that. Is it a compliment to hear someone say of us, they mean what they say and they say what they mean? Now listen, let's mean what we say without being mean. That's what we've got to learn to do. And then there's this other way we lie. By not saying a word. It's easy to justify because we don't want to get ourselves in trouble. This is me. I'd be like, who left the heat on 80? You know. You know, we could go through a lot of instances like that. But we stand in silence because we know we've done it. But if somebody's asking a question and we could do something to help, it'll help our integrity. Our integrity must be more valuable than our ego. Because I'm sure there are so more of these things, little samples like this. It's, it's easy to see why this is one of the most difficult commandments to keep. Someone wise said, nothing is opened by mistake more often than the mouth. Our relationship with God must affect what we say, what we type, and text. We need God's Spirit to control our tongue. And that's why the Holy Ghost is so important. The Holy Ghost becomes that check valve. When we take the Spirit of God and the Word of God, that's a, that should help us with our integrity. And, and because, I, look, I'm just going to be honest. From, from It's so easy to be in that place. And we all know this today that... Uh, last week I was talking about stealing, about how, you know, we've all been to that place where we've accidentally stole things. You, you, can, 
You can get caught in the moment, and you can't accidentally lie. Kind of like, I guess you say it's accidentally on purpose or whatever, but with my boss, you know, it's like caught in that spot. It's like, ugh. And I don't know what I was afraid of. You, you can never be wrong with being honest and having integrity. And, but that's why we need the Spirit of God and the Word of God that balances that, becomes our conscience in our life. And even though we know it's like, oh, man, I'm caught in this place, but what do I do? Tell the truth. It's always the best thing. Tell the truth. And if you're dealing with telling somebody the truth about some other things, do it with integrity and kindness and love. Because God is not only calling for us to be honest with one another, He's calling for us to be honest with Him. And when we are not honest and open with Him, we tell Him and tell Him what He already knows. God, I'm not okay. I need you, God. When we're honest with God, He can heal us. He can help us. He can save us. Some of you may remember the sermon I preached. It's been a year or two ago. Uh, the greatest lie ever told. It's when I, when I say I'm okay when I'm not. I've got everything together. I, I don't need no help. I, I, don't, I'm, I got it all fixed. No. The biggest lie we can ever tell in our life is when we're just saying, I'm okay. I don't need God. I, I've got everything fixed. I'm, I, don't need to, I don't need to advance no more in God. I don't need to I don't need to get closer. I don't, I don't have not wronged anybody out there, you know. That's the beauty of repentance. Repentance fixes. It, it helps settle that stuff. Fix life. I close with this story. I recently read a really good book. It's called by Jeremy Gove. It's called Let's Be Honest. And um, I read it on the Kindle version. I get anymore where I read some of these books on Kindle versions. Like, I need to order that. This is one of those I need to order. A lot of good principles in it. Wrote by an apostolic, by an apostolic author, which I, I like to read that type for sure. But I close with this story I recently read in, in his book, Let's Be Honest. Chapter 5, it has a strange name. When I first seen the name, I thought, that's a strange name. But <clears throat> the name of this chapter is The Things Only Seagulls Will See. Although, that's kind of strange. But the introduction to, to uh, this chapter says this. In his book, Lyrics, Oscar Hammerstein, too, wrote about a magazine cover he had seen a year earlier. On the cover with the Statue of Liberty, but instead of being taken from the ground or from the harbor, the picture he saw was taken from a rare, rare vantage point above the statue. He said, reflecting... Upon that picture, Hammerstein wrote the following words. He said, I saw a picture of the Statue of Liberty taken from a helicopter, and it showed the top of the statue's head. He said, I was amazed at the detail there. The sculptor had done a painstaking job of sculpting her hair, and yet he must have been pretty sure that the only eyes that would ever see the details would be the uncritical eyes of seagulls. That is a beautiful picture of integrity. Especially when we understand the full context of this story. The Statue of Liberty was created in 1886. Years before airplanes, helicopters, and um, what's some other things they fly around now taking videos all the time? Drones. 
So the sculptor, he never dreamed people would ever witness the top of his work. As far as he knew, the only ones who would ever see the top of the statue would be the uh, unassuming eyes of seagulls. He could have easily skipped over it. He could have justified not giving it his best. After all, seagulls don't care. And yet, he put just as much work in the top of her head as he did her face, her arms, her torch, and everything else people would be able to see. Why? Why is integrity? Clark Whitten once said, integrity means you have more in the warehouse than in the showroom. Integrity is doing right even when it seems like no one will ever see it. It's doing right even when no one will ever know any different. It's doing right when it could be easier to cut corners and to get ahead. It's doing right when doing wrong is the easy way out. God has called us to a holy life of integrity. And its beginnings are with honesty. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And that is a place that our integrity is truly, truly put to the test. Is us to be honest. And not lie. And be men and women of integrity. God knew it long before anyone ever wrote. And I have no idea who wrote it. But the principle came from God. Honesty really is the best policy. Honesty really is the best policy. So. There's our ninth commandment. We have one left. Lord. I ask you to help us today God. It's not a person. In this room. Or ever has been in this room. Or ever will grace this room. In the future. Has not had to battle and deal with. This commandment Lord. Because God is. Sometimes it is. Just so easy for us to. To do this. And seem like it's okay. But help us become men and women of integrity. Lord somebody that. People know they can depend on. Lord, let us be people of integrity and honesty, knowing that people could see us and know that we're people that they can trust us with our words and with theirs. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us, God. Help us draw nearer and closer to you, Lord. We love you and we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll take a break.